Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State, and I am your host, Josh Raley. We've got a great episode in store for you. I have my buddy Pierce Nellis on again, and we're talking uh, driftless trout fly fishing essentials. We talked about the essential gear that you need to get out there on the water without absolutely breaking the bank. So the original plan was we were going to have an episode where we talked about all that gear and you guys would be good to go. But uh, after talking tonight, we quickly realized, hey, this is going to take a couple of episodes probably. We're not going to be able to cram this all into one. So in this episode, we're going to cover your rod, your reel, your fly line, and a couple of other basics about casting mechanics. Next week, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of uh, leaders and tippet and what flies you want to use, and then probably jump into... Uh, you know, trout fishing techniques and tactics for May and June. Basically, this window of time before we get into big terrestrial season, which we will talk about eventually towards the end of this. I don't know how many episodes this is going to end up being. We may run them consecutively. We may break them up, space them out a couple of weeks apart. I don't really know yet. But what I do know is I'm behind the eight ball. I've got a couple of kids running around upstairs right now. I can hear pitter-patters up above me and I don't think my wife is home so I need to get upstairs and figure out what in the world is going on up there before we jump into the episode though and before I go upstairs and see what's going on with the kids I do need to say a big thanks to our partners guys these brands help me put this show out each and every week and I could not do it without their support first of all Tacticam like I said title sponsor of the show turkey seasons are wrapping up pretty much across the country Um, you know even there in Wisconsin we are getting closer and closer to the final days of turkey season. And uh, man, it's been a really good one. I hope that you picked up a Tacticam 6.0 camera for your turkey season. But if not, you've got time before fall. I hope you're considering uh, filming your hunts this year. I think Tacticam provides you the most affordable and simplest way to get started filming your hunts. They've got all kinds of mounts and adapters where you don't have to worry about your camera and getting it aimed at the action. You throw the camera on your weapon your weapon becomes your camera. So if your weapon is aimed at your target, you're gonna get that shot on film. Right now they've got their 6.0 camera, which gives you 4K footage. It's got excellent image stabilization. It's got really, really great low light capabilities. Super simple one touch operation. It's got the touch screen on there, which is huge. They also have their solo extreme camera, which if you're looking for a little bit more of a budget friendly option, that's going to be the camera for you. It still gives you the one-touch operation. you still got totally waterproof housing. It's just not going to have that LCD touchscreen, and it's going to give you HD footage instead of 4K footage. Either way, though, you cannot go wrong. Head over to Tacticam.com and check out their cameras as well as all their mounts and adapters. Next up, Huntworth. Uh, man, when you get to the end of the season and you're putting your gear away, I have realized that is one of my saddest days when I actually take the camo and instead of leaving it in the bag by the back door in my basement with my boots, 
uh, you know, like I've done for all of turkey season. It's time to put it all on a tote and put it all away uh, until fall. And as I was putting away all of my Huntworth gear the other day, I couldn't help but think about how well that stuff has served me, not only last fall during deer season, but also this spring during turkey season. And there are a couple of pieces like the Durham lightweight pants that I kept out because I'm gonna be wearing those bad boys for summer scouting, for hanging trail cameras, for all kinds of good stuff, for fishing. Uh, They're just really, really good lightweight pants. If you haven't tried them out already, you need to head over to their website and check out a pair. They've got them in camo. They've also got them in gray. And I think they have them in a couple of other colors, but those are the two that I have, and I personally love them. You can find those over on their website, huntworthgear.com. And then last but not least, Onyx. We are uh, wrapping up turkey season. Like I said, it's time to start thinking fishing. I had my Onyx up today. I was looking for public access water. I'm trying to find easy places where I can make it to the water on public land where I can make sure to keep my feet wet so that I know these creeks and streams around here or these lakes in my area uh, are fishable by me and that's so that I can get onto them legally. And Onyx is helping me do that. It gives you all kinds of good information about public and private lands. If you are not already using Onyx, you need to go check them out. You can find them on their website, onyxmaps.com, or you can find them on the app store of your choice where you can get a seven-day free trial right now. And uh, hey, if you are already a member, if you did not know, the Elite membership not only gives you access to all 50 states, but it gives you a ton more perks as well, including huge discounts for some of the brands that you trust. Brands like Vortex Optics, brands like Woodhaven Custom Calls. So if you're not an Elite member already, you need to consider upgrading to the Elite package because it will pay for itself, not only in the product that you get, but in how it's gonna help you save money on other products. Now guys, please go support the partners that support this show because like I said, I couldn't do this without them. And so it would mean a lot to me if you would go and support them as well. If you're not already, follow along with us on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at how to hunt deer. Uh, And if you can, please go leave us a review wherever it is that you get this podcast, whether that be on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or uh, man, if you're not doing one of those two things, then you are in the, the extreme minority But uh, yeah, if you can leave a podcast review wherever you get this thing, that would be awesome. Now let's jump into this episode talking driftless trout gear with Pierce Nellis. Back with me on uh, this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is Pierce Nellis. Pierce, what's going on, buddy? Not much, dude. Just kind of wrapping up turkey season and getting back to fishing. Man, wrapping up turkey season. So, uh had you on not long ago we talked about your turkey season that almost different didn't happen uh hope you like the title it's a little bit dramatic maybe <laughs> but uh you've killed another turkey since then like you you've got another bird since then i did so i also missed another turkey since then but we don't need to talk about that so what's your missed total for the year two two okay all right that's that's not too bad. Yeah. That's not too bad. You can live with that. No. The two misses and two birds still. So I'll take know. it. Are you going to be doing any more turkey? As long hunting? as both tags are filled, I don't care. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. That's a, it's not like you you missed one and then that tag went unfilled. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It was more just like a. Are you kidding me? Did I actually just do that again? <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I am going to hunt um, sixth season now uh, over in zone one, I think. Probably just going to 
fifty about squeezing a morning or two in uh, next weekend. Okay. Um, which I don't know. We'll see how that goes. From what I've been seeing so far, vast majority of toms uh, in the areas that I hunt are pretty over all of the breeding and just hanging out in bachelor groups again. So yeah, they're we'll kind of done with it. Kind of done with it. I had yeah. a a buddy of mine went with a another guy that we both know now, uh, John and mm-hmm. got his first turkey the other day. They went out early in the morning on some private ground that doesn't really get hunted. They only heard one gobble, I think, on the roost, and this place is covered in birds. Yep. Like, there's tons of them. Um, and uh, they ended up driving down the road, found some birds right next to public. They've got permission on this specific farm that they were on, though. Um, it's a farm that I also have permission on. And... Uh, they had to put the crawl on them. They had to put the sneak on them. Uh, through they the, them? Through the tall, wet gr- No, no. Just <laughs> straight up sneaking on them. So, uh, yeah. but they did end up getting one of the birds. I think there was some calling involved, but they weren't super interested. So it was, mm-hmm. I think it was just, uh, you know, the calling maybe kept the birds in the area, but it certainly didn't. Sure. They didn't come screaming in or anything like that. And they ended up uh, getting in the right spot. So Scott killed a bird scott if you're listening man congratulations john you did a good job getting him on a bird uh even after scott missed one the week before uh extremely painful for him as well so anyways but dude we're as much (laughs) as it as okay it hurts to say this i'm realizing as much as it hurts to say this we're not here to talk about turkey hunting today no unfortunately not (sighs) I just, I don't feel like it's time for that yet. I feel like that's a little too soon. Uh, we will have another turkey episode <laughs> next week. I'm going to be talking with Matt Strine from Weathered Oaks Game Calls. Uh, so we'll air that episode next week. Then I think the following week after that, or at least that's the plan right now. Who knows how long this conversation is going to take. We'll see. But after that, I've got an episode on some deer scouting that we're going to do. And, uh, man, it just, it doesn't even seem like it's time for that yet. But before we get into deer scouting and before we leave spring behind, uh, man, we're talking, we're talking fly fishing in the driftless again. You bet. Part that, two. That, yeah, man, that's your, that's your jam. Uh, for folks who don't know, uh, good, my goodness. If, if somebody's listening to this show and they don't know what you do yet, like, they obviously haven't listened to very many episodes of it because I've had you on uh, a whole bunch of times. But for those who don't know, tell them what you do when it comes to fly fishing. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, an independent fly fishing guide. I'm the owner of uh, Good Chance Fly Fishing. We specialize in walkway uh, trips for uh, our driftless trout here in the great state of Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's a really, really unique type of fishing if you haven't done it before, but it's a lot of small Creek, um, you know, fishing some of the most beautiful little trout you've ever seen. Um, some of them not even so, so little. Um, but you know, the, the driftless game is just goofy. It's a lot of small creeks and, you know, cattle pastures and, uh, you know, beautiful spring coolies and limestone creeks that are just popping with bugs and awesome trout. So, yeah, very mm-hmm. unique fishery. I mean, one of those places that just mm-hmm. you can't get anything like it anywhere else. It's not, um, it's not your your Northwoods fishing. You know, like folks might no. be used to if they're 
you know, fishing up in northern Wisconsin or fishing in northern Michigan or some of those other places, northern Minnesota. It's it's, but it's also not your west coast fishing, uh, mm-hmm. or your you know west of the Mississippi fishing for trout, and it's not your like Appalachian region fishing for trout. I mean, it's it's yeah. it is unique in and of itself. Like it's so different from anything else. Uh, but but a wonderful fishery, all the same. And so what I wanted to do today is have you on talk about all things um, gear, right? When it comes to getting set up, I think it's one of those things that guys look at and they think, you know, I'd really, really like to try that, but it seems like there's a big barrier for entry, right? Like for me, when I look at, you know, okay, today I want to start fly fishing, so I need to go buy myself a kit. And if I happen to stumble my way into an Orvis shop and I have nothing, I'm probably going to turn around and walk back out mm-hmm. because I'm like, Oh my goodness, it's going to cost me three grand to get into this sport. Like how am I, how am I ever going to yeah. going to even get started? Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, you can even get high quality equipment mm-hmm. like Orvis stuff and ease your way into it, work your way into it. There's lots of ways to get into it at an affordable, um, at an affordable uh, rate but at the same time, I think if people mm-hmm. are armed with just a little bit of knowledge, they can know where they can save money. They can know, you know, the where where do I need to sink the money? Like if I've got this much to spend, how much do I need to allocate and budget for uh, the reel as opposed to the rod, as opposed to the line um, and all of that? So let's kick it off and just say, all right, Pierce, I'm a new guy. I want to come fish the Driftless. I want this to be my new hobby what do I need to get started? Like, how do I get out the door and on the water for as uh, affordable as possible, but still have a quality time? Like, I don't sure. want to go out there with junk equipment and have a yeah. miserable time because my stuff's garbage. Right, right. Um, but you, you mentioned uh, the big O, um, Orvis, there, as you were uh, giving that, that sort of uh, intro. Um, I do just want to say, you know, as, a, as an Orvis connoisseur, um, and just, you know, fly rod purchaser as well. Like they, I, I can't say a, a single bad thing about the company of Orvis. They're fantastic. Sure. Um, you know, I've, I've done some work with them as well. They're fantastic to work with. Uh, I'm in no way, uh, professionally affiliated, uh, by them or endorsed in any way, but this is just me saying this as an Orvis, you know, uh, an Orvis rod connoisseur, you know, purchaser of products. Um, I mean, if, if you're worried about the barrier there, like don't, feel like, you know, okay, Orvis, you know, the big name, it's going to come with a big price tag. Yes, you can spend just about $1,000 for a fly rod. However, the Clearwater series, the Encounter series, um, I push towards the Clearwater series, just shy of 300 bucks. But I mean, I guide with those rods. I fish with those rods um, for that price point. It, in my opinion, as a rod buyer, it, it's the best out there at this time. Um, so. Um, Orvis, if you do want to throw me any commission, that'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have a discount code or anything, but if you just keep mentioning good chance, whenever you go in, eventually they'll catch on. So get guys, listeners, give it a shot. Hopefully <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, so, so when it comes to targeting trout in the driftless, um, what I always tell folks is you're going to want a rod. That's probably, you know, for starting out that's going to if you're just getting into fly fishing your best bet's going to be a five weight rod it'll do everything you need it'll handle or panfish driftless trout uh some light bass um 
God, I know guys who carp fish with them, which I don't know that I'd recommend that, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's a super versatile rod. Um, four weight's going to be a little bit more geared towards your driftless trout. It's just a lighter rod, um, a little bit more user friendly for, you know, casting smaller drives, more, more delicate presentation type stuff, um, during our hatch season. Uh, my personal, my favorite rod is an eight and a half foot four, um, it, it, that eight and a half foot mark just, you know, you wouldn't think the six inch difference between the eight and a half foot rod and nine foot rod would be that, uh, that drastic, but just, you know, that when you're in tall grass, um, when you're you know, in those tight quarters type areas of the driftless, um, where our streams are, you know, anywhere from as wide as a sidewalk to, you know, I guess pretty much as wide as a, as a two lane road. Um, for the most part, you know, that, that eight and a half foot rod does everything you need. And, uh, shorter rods tend to be a little bit more accurate anyways, which on our tiny creeks can be particularly helpful. Um, but my, my recommendation to, to folks would be a four or five weight rod for driftless fly fishing, um, in that eight and a half or nine foot range. Uh, now if you do want to go down a little bit too, and you're, you know, say you're into it already and you're like, all right, I've got a five weight or I've got a four weight already. I mean, shoot, grab a three-way, like grab something just kind of quirky. Um, you know, we, we see some really, really funny uh, gear setups here in the Driftless, which is always fun, just kind of seeing how folks can tweak different things and, you know, fish, you know, six-foot rods. that seem like a six-and-a-half-foot two-weight, um, you know, catch big fish in the Driftless. Uh, I've got a, a, you know, a lot of my lighter rods are, you know, sub-nine-foot in that eight-and-a-half to – uh, seven and a half foot range, um, fiberglass rods are super fun in the driftless because they're just real, real slow action. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll bend deep down near the cork into the rod and they just are a really, really kind of fun sort of old school way to fish. Um, and you know, I, I was actually with a guy who, um, is just an avid fly fisherman, uh, over the weekend who I think he, he got it off of Craigslist or eBay or something like that. But it was, uh, it was like a, I think it was a nine foot or maybe an eight and a half foot four weight that the previous owner had basically cut the butt section in half and then put his own grip on. And so when you bent this rod or like loaded it in any way, you could literally feel the cork grip inside your hand, like folding just a little bit. Oh my you just, you could feel that bend literally like to the bottom of your hand. It was really, really funny. Um, but he, the guy that I was with was saying like, yeah, that's my son's favorite driftless route. Like I picked it up just kind of on a whim, like, and hey, whatever, we'll check it out. We'll see what happens. Um, that's and wild. his son is just avid about it. I know guys who, you know, they figure out ways to throw, uh, you know, small streamers on three weight rods and stuff like that. It's just, there's so much goofy stuff you can do here in the drift list. But, um, you know, if you're getting into it, I would, I would recommend a four or a five weight rod, um, lighter stuff. If you're or, or interested in the dry fly enthusiast type stuff, but the, the four and the five weights can allow you to do everything you could possibly want to do, whether it be streamer fishing, throwing dries, um, dropper rigs, you name it. Um, and that being said, if you've got a six weight or something like that and you're like, yeah, shoot, I don't really want to buy a, you know, a new rod. Well, I'll tell you what, my first three years of fly fishing in the driftless, I used a nine foot six weight, which 
I now realize is way overkill, but <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, you know, it still gets the job done. Um, just a little more aggressive than you need. Um, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. I, I would say off the bat there, you're going to want, um, you know, four and a four, four or five weight rod in that eight and a half to nine foot range. Well, I should say more so like the seven and a half to nine foot range, depending on what you can find. Okay. Um, but the big thing to keep in mind is like if you're buying a rod, you know, do your research and stuff and you may find, uh, reviews on different rods. Say you're buying like a used one off of Craigslist or Facebook marketplace or something like that. You know, read some reviews on it. Um, go to the company's website, see if there's stuff on there that kind of says like, okay, this is a faster action rod or a slower action rod. It's good for this and that. Um, find some reviews, but also use a little bit of discretion that, you know, you may have somebody say like this rod, um, you know, it's way too stiff. Was definitely not marketed as advertised. Like this thing sucks. I would never buy this again. And, you know, it could have been one, either a mismatch with the line that was on it. Maybe if he would have bought a line that was a half a line weight heavier or a full line weight heavier, something like that, that could load it a little bit more and put a little bit more bend in that. Um, you know, that, that could, a lot of times that helps people a ton. Um, it could also just be that, you know, that, that with their casting stroke, that rod just doesn't work as well for them. Uh, just doesn't drive with them. I always tell folks, you know, when we're doing casting instruction and stuff like that, it, everyone's fly cast is kind of like everyone's golf swing, you know, none of them look the same. Um, it just kind of comes down to the, all the same core principles of stopping your rod in the right position, pausing and letting your line get back behind you and extend and, you know, loading your rod properly and doing the, the basic functions, but how you get to point A to point B, um, it may look completely different between two people. Yeah. Um, so just use that discretion when you're, uh, when you're, when you're doing that kind of stuff. And when I say like, you're right, we're kind of going to segue here into talking about fly lines as well. Um, when I say look for a, a, or a line that's got, um, you know, a half a line weight heavy or a, a full line weight heavy, basically what that, what that means, um, for those who aren't into fly fishing yet, who are maybe looking to get into fly fishing, basically you have, um, every rod is matched to a line weight. So you, generally want to match a four weight rod to a four weight line. Um, and then as you go up, um, it goes in basically the, the front 30 or 40 feet blinking on that discrepancy there. Um, there's like X number of grains in the, in the head of the fly line. Um, most fly lines you're going to buy are going to be front taper, which basically means that you've got the tip of the line. It tapers up into a, a heavier section known as like the belly and then that taper goes down after the, the thickest part down into your running line, which is basically just uh, kind of like a coated thin mono that's super lightweight um, so that if you are making longer casts, that you have the, the full weight of the line carrying that running line with it with little resistance. Um, <clears throat> but basically what I mean by uh, it, you're going to have a line weight that's a half a line weight heavier or a full line weight heavier um, is say you've got a four weight rod, you buy one that's a, a line weight heavy, it would basically be you're buying a four weight or a five weight line for a four weight rod. Or if you're going that halfway, it kind of bridges the gap between the grains of, you know, there's, I'm totally kicking myself right now for spacing on, uh, I should know this. I've got, I can picture the chart in my head right now <laughs> of the, the line 
the line weight in grains and stuff like that. But basically, um, <clears throat> you want to have them about, I believe, 20 or 30 grains apart. Um, and so if you're going to half a line weight heavy, it's going to be kind of in that mid range between the four and the five weight. Okay. Um, and again, all that's going to do is just add a little bit more weight so that you can load your rod a little bit easier. It's just going to, because <clears throat> again, for those who aren't as familiar with, uh, with fly fishing or looking to get into it, you've got your fly line, which is um, coated in a, a PVC coating or some other weighted coating. Um, and then you attach your leader to that fly line. That leader is also tapered and it goes down and then you attach your fly to the tippet section of that leader. The tippet section of the leader is essentially just the business end, the very fine um, section of that leader. Um, so everything's just basically from the front end of your fly line above the belly, um, everything's just in this downward taper all the way down to your fly. And that's what essentially when you make your cast, everyone's seen fly fishing ads um, of that slow motion line loop unrolling, you know, yeah. spraying water everywhere. That fly just gently drops down on the water. Everybody's seen that. Um, all of that wouldn't be possible without a, a downward taper uh, towards your fly. Yeah. And I, um, <clears throat> it helped me when I first really started taking some of this more seriously. Not that I'm a serious fly fisherman by any means, but um, once I got on YouTube, Hey, I'm a huge fly fisherman. Um, I, I'm not that guy. But um, when I started to understand that it was all about the transfer of energy down the line, like that's what mm -hmm. I, I'm not using the pole to like, or the rod. Sorry. Oh my gosh. I called it a pole. Uh, people <laughs> come unglued for that. Pierce, I'm sorry. People are going to know that you associate with someone who calls a, a rod, a pole. Um, so a fly rod, uh, when you, you're not just slinging the stuff over there, you are, you're like, loading and transferring that energy down the line from, from your rod all the way down to the very tip. Right. And that taper Correct. is necessary yeah. for the transfer of energy. And if there's an incorrect, uh, part along that, if something is done in a, incorrectly or if the, if the weights aren't lined up appropriately, if you don't have the light right line for your rod, if you're trying to float, throw uh, a fly that's way too big or something like that, the whole system breaks down. And so you can have fairly good mechanics, but you're not going to be able to cast very effectively. One thing you mentioned there um, that I'd like you to go into just a little bit is the fast versus a slow rod. What, what the heck does that mean? So basically like, and you'll see this in, in spinning rods and stuff like that too, um, or bait casters, whatever, where there's like the, um, I guess in that I haven't touched too many spinning rods or bait casters for quite a few quite a few years now, but you've got your, your ultralights and you've got your, your heavier, your medium heavy action rods. Obviously your heavy action rods are stiff. Um, and fly fishing, um, we've got basically fast, medium and slow action rods. They're basically, um, or sometimes it's described as, uh, you know, a mid flex or a full flex or a tip flex. It basically has to do with, um, where your rod bends when you're casting it and loading it. Um, now, as you were mentioning there, that, that transfer of energy and the stopping of, or, you know, basically the, the transfer of energy in your line to un, to straighten out the turnover, that loop, essentially, um, none of that's possible without, and this is what a lot of people kind of forget is without fully stopping their rod on the back cast because your rod acts like a lever. And so that lever 
think of it as if you're trying to pole vault. Um, yeah, think of it as if you're trying to pole vault. You know how when they're running down the track, they've got that little notch in the ground that they jam the end of the pole into. Yep. It's a solid fixed position. And then that allows all their energy to go into bending that pole and then spring them forward. If that was like, if, I mean, th- just think about if they had to do that into sand and or mud or whatever. And all of a sudden, like they stick it in and then it like kind of moves. And then it's like, you know, maybe it slides or it loses position. That thing, that rod, the pole isn't going to bend. And the same thing happens when we're casting a fly rod. So if we don't fully stop our hand, and allow that rod to then have a solid point to deload on. And basically when it's, when we lift our rod, it bends forward and then we stop it and it straightens out and it shoots our line back behind us. And then as we come forward, it bends backwards and then we bring it forward and we need to stop it again, going forward in order to create the point of which that line or the rod straightens itself out at which point the rod creates the point of turnover on our line, which then transfers that energy out. Um, that's the thing, man, is just yeah, you're having good casting mechanics and you know, making sure that you're fully stopping and, uh, you know, aware of the angle at which your, your rod is at, um, you know, it's basically that it's not too far back or too far forward. So if it's too far back, you know, that, that rod doesn't have, there's no energy going like, perpendicular to the rod to bend it essentially. Yeah. Um, and if we come too far forward, then basically we just throw our fly line straight down into the water in front of us and it just lands in a big, big pile. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a question I on totally the, went off on a tangent. No, here. that's, that's perfect because it, it brought me <laughs> to my next oh, question. Slow and fast action wad. My oh, bad. Yeah. 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 I've, I've got a question. Remind me that I had Sorry. a question for you about casting mechanics. Don't let me forget it. Cause I, I don't want to blow past it. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I'll be quick here. No, you're um, good. So basically fast action, slow action, uh, you know, hip flex, mid flex, uh, full flex, full flex and slow action are the exact same. They're, you know, uh, synonymous with each other as uh, tip flex and fast action are. So basically okay. if you were to cast your rod and load it, where is the bend point? If you were to draw a line in the center of like the bend in your rod, like if you took a freeze frame when it's fully loaded, where is it at? Is it up towards the tip? Is it, more in the middle of the rod or is it down tight to the grip? So those, you know, the full flex rods are really, really slow action because there's so much bend and it takes so much longer for that rod to deload and, you know, spring that line forward. Whereas the fast action tip flex stuff, um, you know, the, the butt of that rod, the lower half of that rod is pretty darn stiff um, as is the tip section. And so it really has a ton of power um, as you're, you're loading your rod. So it's, you know, fast action rods, tip flex stuff is awesome for, you know, fishing in windy conditions. Um, super popular, like out West, um, you're, you know, on the salt flats and stuff like that, where you've got to punch a fly through some serious wind, um, at a distance, especially slower action rods. Um, it's going to be more of a, a close quarters, uh, very delicate presentation, um, kind of game. So slow action rods are pretty fun in the driftless because, you know, a lot of, a lot of 15 to 30 foot casts. Um, and it's, you know, it's just a good time. Yeah. It's they're, a really, they're real springy. When you get a fish, they'll, they'll fold it over. <laughs> yeah. And you, I mean, you feel it all the way down the rod. Like that goes right into the, oh, yeah, the yeah, final yeah. fish too. Like yeah. you feel it all the way down as opposed to feeling your, your tip, you know, shaking or whatever. Um, when it comes right. to that, 
and when it comes to that then, uh, and this that may play into the question that I was going to ask you a second ago. One of the things that I've noticed about my current rod, not not my fishing pole, the rod, um, when I when I when I'm on my my cast, I cast forward, right, and I'm I'm trying to mm-hmm. roll out that line out in front of me, get it going where I want it to be. I feel like there's a lot of shaking and vibration in the tip of my rod. And I feel like that's, that can't be right. Does that make sure. sense? Like it's, it's like I, I unload all that energy and it gets to the end and it just wiggles out there and I can feel it in my hand. Uh, when I'm at the, like when I stop it mm-hmm. on my front cast, is there, is that just a mechanics issue that I'm running yeah. into? Is that just a, a, am I stopping short or what, what am I doing? Honestly, from what you've told me just about your rod, because we've been texting about potentially getting you a new rod here and what you're, you're looking for and what you've got right now. Um, basically what there's, there's two things that can happen. Um, the first one is you could be, you could be really whipping it forward, which is very natural. It's a natural thought to have is like, okay, I'm fly fishing right now. Like I want to go further forward. I should put more for like more power into my cast going forward. It's totally counterintuitive as fly fishing. We want to punch our line back with more force than we bring it forward. So if we punch it back, we load our rod properly. That rod is a freaking loaded cannon or a compressed spring and it is ready to launch that line forward. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of times what happens, uh, it, it could be one of two things. It could be coming to like too abrupt of a stop and kind of like really punching it forward. Okay. Um, or it could just be material in the rod, just kind of rod quality. Okay. Um, just as not, not to, not to bash your rod or anything, but just from what you've told me about it, it sounds a little. Dude, you're crapping on my fly rod. A little rod, iffy man. here. I didn't mean to, but I mean, it's only because you've been crapping on it to me all week. No. <laughs> <laughs> now to be, to be perfectly fair, to be perfectly fair, I bought this rod from St. Vinny's for $2, right? Like yeah. it, it should not be high quality. <laughs> this was, this was a, I need a new, cause I had one that was an old Shakespeare rod that I bought back when I was mm-hmm. in high school, um, in a little kit for 20 bucks from Walmart. And I was out fishing one day and I noticed on my back cast, I felt something funky and I was like, man, that's weird. And I went to cast forward and the, the thing came apart. I was like, huh, yeah. well, that stinks. I ended up breaking one of the, I guess, where the sections come together. The yeah, there was like yeah. a crack down one of the ferrules. And yeah. I tried to tape it, but after, like, even <clears throat> once I taped it, it just didn't, it didn't act right anymore, you know? Right. Right. <clears throat> and so it was, it was time for that one to go. So I needed something in a pinch. And uh, I bought this one for $2 at the thrift store, um, <laughs> you know, which was, which is fine. Uh, it's, it's, it served me. W- I mean, I've caught a lot of fish with it. I, yeah, I, do, I, I'm ready now for something else though. For sure. I'm, I'm ready for something else. For sure. So, uh, talk to me a little a bit. A lot of times what happens, with, I was just uh, going to yeah, go, no, go ahead. real quick. Yeah. A lot of times what happens with, with rod quality and stuff like that, and especially in more modern fly rods and stuff is, you know, when you are in a rod shop, um, and you like, say you are just holding the rod and you kind of bounce it or you flick it in your hand like feel that kind of flex you feel where it bends and stuff like that give it a solid just like a little like flick 
and just pay attention to how quickly it straightens back out and quits vibrating. Okay. Um, basically what happens in fly rods, um, it, it obviously depends on the rod. You're, you really want to look for a rod that, uh, that stabilizes quickly and it stops that vibration quickly um, because otherwise basically that those micro vibrations will then travel down your line as it's trying to straighten out yep. and it'll cause basically it can just lead to inaccuracy and stuff like that. So yeah. folks wondering what, what the difference is between the thousand dollar fly rod and the, you know, $150 fly rod. It's going to come into quality of material. Um, but nowadays typically graphite um, and basically how quickly it stabilizes, how accurate it is. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com, and share your hunt with Tacticam. And that leads to forgiveness, right? Like forgiveness in your form. Like your yeah. your form yeah. can be very, a little more forgiving. out of whack and still yeah. get a good cast. So I went fishing um, okay. with, I fished with you. What's that? Mm-hmm. What were you saying? Yeah, I, I, I totally spaced on, uh, I said forgiveful, and I was like, that's not the word. What the hell am I trying to say here? <laughs> Forgiving, that's yeah. what Look, we're looking for a forgiveful rod, <laughs> a forgiveful kind of, kind of rod. Cut that out, um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I fished with you before, and um, I fished with another guy as well in the Driftless, um, and mm-hmm. both of you guys put me in – with an, on an Orvis rod, uh, I think you ha- you gave me an Orvis rod, right? So I was fishing with one of your was it the Clearwater? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Man, yeah. what a difference! Like just the the mm-hmm. whole experience. It's the difference between shooting for for guys who are listening to this that are maybe deer hunters. It's the difference between shooting the five hundred fifty dollar kit bow that you buy from Bass Pro Shops, and then shooting a Matthews like a flagship Matthews when it comes to just dead in the hand shooting experience, forgiveness, all of that stuff. That to me is the difference between, you know, a cheapo rod that I use and then a, you know, obviously much nicer, although not necessarily extremely expensive rod. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Man, I'm I'm already looking. <clears throat> we're about we're about thirty minutes in. I don't want to shortchange this. So if we need to break this up and do multiple episodes out of this, like let's go ahead and make that call because I I think this is important, especially for guys who who want to get into this kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. 
All right. So we're we're talking about it. This all came from we're talking about the essentials, right? What we've what we've got to have. Yeah. Um, we've got to have our rod. Uh, when it comes to choosing said rod, is there a helpful way for me to find one that works for me? Like, and I'll be honest with you. Over the years, uh, there are a couple of different places that have been intimidating for me, and I'm not an easily intimidated person. But fly mm-hmm. shops and archery shops are two of those places where I feel intimidated because you can walk in a lot of times and you get the look, right? Like, you, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. It's the, it's the look like, you know, oh, yeah. you, you, yeah, don't, yeah. you don't belong here. Uh, or yeah. it's, it's usually probably a look of like, I've just never seen you. And so much of our clientele is like regulars kind of clientele. Right. Um, but it feels like eh, you ain't from around here. Are you kind of, kind of a look. So are there places where I can go where I can try these things out? Like, am I going to get, crucified if I walk in and say, Hey, can I cast this one a couple times? Can you set it up for me? So first of all, um, the majority of good fly shops should not make you feel that way. <laughs> like, like, yes, it's intimidating, especially yep. if you're new into the sport. Yep. Um, the, you know, you're absolutely right. Just like archery shops. Just, I remember I'm, as you were saying that I was like, imagine going back to my archery shop for the first time and walking in there and kind of, you're right. You get the look of like, Oh God, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Like, <laughs> here we go. Yeah. Which like, God, if you're working behind the counter, that's your, I mean, that that's like, what are you doing? Not just running to that guy. Yeah. Because if you do your job, he's going to buy a bunch of stuff from you. So like, over and I, I, over I, I and over understood again. that yep. whole kind of like, Right. Exactly. And so it's like, you know, I, I don't know. I never understood that kind of thing where it was you know, sort of the, the making the basically just being unwelcoming, you know, to people in the sport. Um, you know, it, it just never really made sense to me, I guess. Um, so if you're in a fly shop, you know, and you're shopping for a rod and they're standoffish, I mean, call them out. Just be like, what the hell? I've got, <laughs> a pocket full of money and I'm, I'm interested in buying a fly rod. What do I need? Like, just talk to me. And yeah. I mean, be transparent with them too. And just say like, Hey, I'm totally new to this. Here's what I want to do. Um, you know, this is kind of what I, where I think I want to start. I really like panfish, and, you know, I like to, you know, take my kids out in the canoe and go for panfish, and like, you know, we'll catch some large mouth here or there, but like, we don't really travel or anything just cause they're young and, you know, it's mostly stuff around here. Like, yeah. If it's a fly shop from that area, they will set you up for that area with everything you need, or at least they should. Um, <clears throat> as far as like testing out rods and uh, trying things out, obviously if you're buying over Craigslist or Facebook marketplace or whatever, you know, you're not really going to have the, the opportunity to, um, unless of course you were to go back to said fly shop and pick up the rod that you're looking at buying for much cheaper from someone else. And, uh, <laughs> don't do that. You know, don't, don't, that up, not, that I'm, not that I'm recommending that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I don't want to give anyone bad ideas. Yeah. That's right. Um, but if, but if oh, it happens, I mean, like, going in, if, if, you, exactly. if it happens, you know, yeah, it is, it is what leaders, it is. Buy but, some flies. Dude, buy a ton of flies. Buy, buy $200 worth of flies because you're going to buy them anyway. So just go ahead and load mm-hmm. up and, you know, tell them you're sorry you didn't buy a rod from them. Right. Exactly. Um, cause they've all seen it too. That's the other thing. They've all seen it. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, as far as like testing stuff out though, you know, going to fly shops, you're never going to inconvenience anyone by asking if you can cast a rod. You know, if it's yeah. like super, super busy and there's one person behind the counter, yeah, maybe they might be like, can you wait 45 minutes or something like that? But Or maybe just say, hey, is there a good time for me to come back and, and you know, I'm interested in these two, uh, you know, the boat that I'm in right now. I, lo- I really like the idea of a clear water. An encounter looks like it's more in my price range. I want to know you know, what's the, what's the field difference between the two? Like, where am I, where yeah. am I at? <clears throat> so, Hey, call them up. Is there a good time I can walk in and check these two out or whatever and, and get a feel right. for how these are going to cast. And if it's a, you know, substantial difference between the two, I'll go with them. I'll go with the more expensive or, or whatever, you know? Yeah. Right. And I mean, ask, ask them too what their recommendations are. Ask them what their favorite rods are to fish. Ask them why, you know, say like, this is kind of, you know, cause really it comes down to what you're going to be doing the most. And, you know, say you buy a rod that's just kind of more of a generalist, like set price range kind of rod. It's not quite as specialty or whatever. Um, <clears throat> kind of knew we were going to allude to this here, but what fly line you put on that rod can make a world of difference. Yeah, it really, really can. Um, so, you know, experiment with different stuff and really like if you're, if you're set on a rod and you're like, you know what, I've heard good reviews on this. I really like this rod. Um, but you know, it's not casting that well for me right now. And you're going to have to figure it out too. If it's a faster action rod, you're going to have to put a little more power into loading that rod. Um, you know, you might find that you're, you don't, you know, say you bought a slower action rod and you're like, God, I really don't like this. It just, it's like, kind of a drag to cast for me right now. Okay. Put a lighter line on it and you can do that. I would only go like one line weight lighter. I'm going to stiffen that rod by putting less weight into it. Um, that's totally an option you can, you can do there. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, just go in, pick up fly rods after, you know, cast stuff. Um, you know, there's fly fishing expos every spring or in the winter, um, depending on where you're at, like, go in there and, you know, ask to grab a rod and feel it or whatever it may be. Just say like, Hey, I'm thinking about this. Like, I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, if you're going to go back to that fly rod and you don't buy a rod, you know, just bang up for their time, snag a couple flies and or some tying material, whatever it is. Um, you know, you're kind of <laughs> exchange of goods there. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just do whatever you can to get, get your hands on a rod. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to that fly line thing then, cause we're, we're obviously talking about, about, um, you know, we're, we're getting around to that topic. We're talking about, you know, weight, you know, getting a, a weight heavier, getting a weight lighter, it can change the way the rod feels and casts and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Given my budget, right? Like if I've got a couple hundred bucks that I want to spend, let's say I've got, you know, 500 bucks that I, I need to be all in for 500 bucks. Like I need to be, Yep. catching fish for 500 and that may be even as a stretch, but mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to give you 500 just for the purpose of, of what we're talking about here. How much of that 500 sure. bucks am I going to allocate to something like line? Because from a traditional fishing perspective, line is not that important to me, but and I say traditional fishing perspective. I come from uh, do, doing some inshore um, saltwater fishing as a kid and then a bulk of our fishing was what, what I would consider like deep sea fishing for snapper, amberjack, king mackerel, you know, large fish where um, 
finesse is not an issue. Casting is not an issue. Like we're not worried about any of that stuff. We're just putting big live things out in the water and let other bigger live things come eat them. So, um, totally. So line to me is not that important until you come to, to fly fishing. So how much of that $500 budget are you going to allocate to the actual line itself? I can't exactly set like a percentage um, of that 500. I would say um, I need specifics here, and I need you to calculate in the tax too. I need specifics, <laughs> and I need the I need the the tax on there as well. So um, I'll just put together a purchase order for yeah. it. That'd be great. <laughs> just go ahead and build it out. Oh goodness. <laughs> um, I'm ringing up for that thousand dollar rod. Oh, there it is. Um, <laughs> Uh, basically when you're, when you're building out your kit, you know, most fly rods are going to be between 40 bucks and 120 that your your top, top end. Um, what you're going to want to basically, the way you're going to want to allocate funds is put it into your rod first, your line second, and your reel third, especially in the driftless. The majority of our fishing is done. I mean, I mean the majority of our trout are between the average driftless trout between eight and 10 inches. That is like an average fish. Just that you're going to catch a pile of them. Um, not that they don't get 20 plus. I mean, a buddy of mine pulled a 24 out of a creek a couple of weeks ago up here and throwing streamers and Jeez. stuff. But, um, yeah, we do have big fish up here too. However, on these creeks and stuff like that, uh, where it is tighter quarters, smaller water, um, quite frankly, just fishing for smaller fish, uh, the, unless you're going for carp, um, you know, pike and muskie, and even then it's kind of can be kind of hit or miss. Or doing the Great Lakes salmon and steelhead game, um, or salt water. Your reel is for the most part going to act basically just as a line holder. Um, the majority of our fish are going to be brought in just by stripping line. Uh, we're not going to be you know, putting fish on the drag for the most part, um, especially in driftless creeks where things get. I mean, you would can walk 10 feet and, you know, hit, you know, big rock piles or, you know, root wads or whatever sort of structure, undercut banks or barbed wire or, you know, fence posts, what, whatever in these, you know, random creeks. Yeah. Um, for the most part, it's just a line holder. So, you know, not that I would fully recommend it, but like we had people, you know, come into a shop I used to work in with the $30, uh, you know, reel off of Amazon and, you know, I'm, sure it works just fine um reels tend to be especially for like driftless stuff they tend to be a little bit more like jewelry um then yeah <laughs> then you know a functional piece of equipment um simply just because like you're we don't have as much of a need for that drag here um on our you know 12 inch browns you know what i mean yeah yeah not necessarily going to be stripping it so uh, all right, so we've got we've got our rod. We we've put our money into the rod. We've put our money into the line. What's a good fly line going to cost me? So if I'm looking at, uh, I mean, gosh, you can spend a lot of money if you want to. But is there like a threshold that it's like, hey, if you spend under this, the line you're probably getting is crap. Um, I mean, it's not even crap necessarily. Uh, I would say under like most lines under, I'm going to say on a low end 70 bucks. 
okay. are not going to be super high quality. Okay. Um, if you, and going into now, like sort of what you get with the high quality line is basically going to be a more durable coating. Um, I'm a big fan of scientific anglers lines. Um, they have AST or advanced shooting technology or AST plus, which basically just helps kind of keep the line buoyant, like prevents it or it prevents it from cracking to an extent. Um, and basically just makes it that much more durable and, uh, um, you know, resistant to, to general wear and tear or basically you know, what, what happens is eventually like the more you fish that stuff, uh, you know, the more abuse it takes, it'll start to kind of collect dirt. It'll start to crack. It'll start to kind of deteriorate and break and stuff like that. Um, a lot of that stuff can also be avoided. You know, I mean, you can have a real good time with some cheap fly line and you can fish it for many, many years as long as you take care of it. So line care does kind of come into play, um, regardless of what you're using. Um, you know, just your more expensive fly lines are going to have, um, a more specific taper typically, um, meaning that they're going to, they're going to load things better. The transfer of energy is going to go a lot smoother than your general $40, you know, whatever, $45, you know, kind of cheaper line. Um, I, I always would urge people to, you know, seek out line probably in that 80 to a hundred dollar range. Um, just cause you, you will notice a difference. You really will. You'll notice a difference in feel. You notice a difference in how well your rod loads, um, you know, how your, your leader and, you know, your flies turn over. Um, that I, I, it, it does make a difference. Don't scam on it. I'll, I'll say that. So I, I ran into an issue. So I, huh, I bought the rod, right, for super cheap. I also found mm-hmm. a, a reel uh, and kit that was missing the rod, but had some flies in it and some mixed things. This is, a, again, in a bin at St. Vinny's. And I found this line that mm-hmm. I really liked the feel of the line. So I was casting in the yard. Really liked the line. Like, man, this is this is pretty cool. I got, you know, some decent line at you know, whatever. It's kit line, so it's not good. I just liked it personally. They matched the rod, at least. It was loading the rod how it needed to. Yeah, yeah. It, it did great with the rod. But then I got out on the creek, and it started sinking. Like every time I would cast it, it would just start sinking. Mm-hmm. So what what the heck was happening there? Did you check it for cracking or anything like that? Well, of course not. I, I didn't call you about it. It could just be that it maybe the entire line was sinking. It could just be a sinking line. No, it was it was like at the it was like at the tip. Um, that, that's pretty common. Um, a lot of times, what will happen there is you'll just get cracking. Um, like the tip of the fly line will start to wear out. Um, so that could be it. Um, you know, you might just need to clean your fly line. It could be gunked up down there. Cause that is, I mean, quite frankly, the tip of your fly line is what collects the most dirt because that's what's on the water the most. It's what's kind of getting drugged through the guides and everything. The tip of your fly line takes a ton of abuse. Um, so it could just be kind of worn out. Um, one trick you could do again, I would say try, try cleaning it. Um, just have, you know, two buckets of water, one with some hand soap in it or dish soap and just strip your fly line into that and then let it soak for 10, 15 minutes and then take that fly line um, and basically run it through a, a dishcloth uh, and strip it through the dishcloth and put it into the, the totally plain water. Um, let it you know, just kind of rinse there and then reel it back up that way. That's a good, 
quick and easy way to clean it. They make fly line dressings as well, um, which are basically like silicone based coatings that kind of like rejuvenate your fly line or coat it that way. Uh, um, otherwise you can kind of do the cheap way and just like grease it with floating, which <laughs> will get you by for a little while, but <laughs> yeah, isn't, isn't exactly a permanent fix. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's, let's, Unless, of course you've got like a fluorocarbon leader on that. It's like dragging it down. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that's, that's the next topic that we need to get into. Uh, moving away from the actual, uh, you know, hardware that's in your hands into uh, some of the other stuff. But, man, I'm, I'm thinking we need to split this thing up. You know, we were going to try to squeeze this all into one episode. It looks like at this point we should probably split it up into two. We're having a couple of uh, couple tech issues, but we're also, you know, nearly an hour into this thing at this point. So, man, thanks for coming to the show again. Where can folks find you if they want to get a hold of you, pepper you with their questions about uh, fly gear and maybe even book a trip with you? You can find all of my info at uh, goodchanceflyfishing.com uh, or if you're on Instagram, um, just at goodchanceflyfishing. Um, yeah, all my contact info is um, on either of those. Uh, you can shoot an email to goodchanceflyfishing at gmail.com. Otherwise, the website um, is a spot where you can you know, book a trip or submit inquiries um, or you know, shoot a DM on Instagram. All of it works. All the contact info is there, but... We'd love to get you out in the Driftless and uh, get you into some trout. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out the sportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.